Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. David Cobb is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. If you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please, please, please knock it out while you're here. Let's get into it. It was an interesting weekend in the sport. Every ranked team that was scheduled to play this weekend has already played. And five top 15 teams in the AP poll lost road games this weekend to unranked opponents. Let me walk you through it real quick. Number two, Alabama lost 93-69 at unranked Oklahoma. Number 11, TCU lost 81-74 in overtime at unranked Mississippi State. Number 12, Iowa State lost 78-61 at unranked Missouri. Number 13, Xavier lost 84-67 at unranked Creighton. And number 15, Auburn lost 80-77 at unranked West Virginia. Nothing really surprising about Xavier losing at Creighton or Auburn losing at West Virginia. Both were actually underdogs despite being the top 15 team in the game. But Alabama, TCU, and Iowa State were all favorites who lost. Of those three results, Oklahoma blasting Alabama, Missouri blowing out Iowa State, Mississippi State getting past TCU in overtime. David Cobb, which one of them surprised you the most? Alabama losing by 24 against an Oklahoma team that is not projected to make the NCAA tournament. That one certainly surprised me the most. I mean, I was on here on our YouTube channel a few days ago stumping for why Alabama should be number one over Purdue. And then they go out and almost lose at home to Mississippi State and then lose by 24 on the road against a very mediocre Oklahoma team. That that shocked me. Yeah, like Alabama, to put some numbers on it, was a six-point favorite at Oklahoma, lost the game by 24. So that's a 30-point swing, and clearly, I think, the biggest surprise of the bunch. It snapped Alabama's nine-game winning streak, and there was a lot of interesting things in the game. Alabama didn't shoot as many threes as it normally shoots. took 66 shots as a team. Only 22 of them came from beyond the arc. Now, typically, Alabama's going to take about 47% of its shots from three. Against Oklahoma, only 33% of Alabama's shots were from three, and the Crimson Tide only made six of them. That's a problem. Alabama was outscored from the three-point line 27-18. Outscored from the free throw line, 16-13, 13 turnovers, only six assists. It was just a uh, a bad performance pretty much 
from start to finish. And yet, David Cup, I kept Alabama number two in the top 25 and one behind only Purdue with the rationale being even with that disgusting 24-point loss at Oklahoma, if you look at Alabama's entire body of work, I still believe the only team in the country that's got a better body of work than the Crimson Tide is the top-ranked Purdue Boilermakers. Like, Alabama, I'll just walk you through some of the numbers, and then you can take it wherever you want to take it, and feel free to disagree with me because the overwhelming majority of people on Twitter are disagreeing with it. But let me make the case for it. So the Crimson Tide are 18-3 and overall, 8-0 in the SEC. That's even after this loss at Oklahoma, 18-3 and overall. 6-3 and in quadrant one, 5-0 and in quadrant two. So 11-3 and in the first two quadrants with all three losses falling in quadrant one. As I explained in the lead of the top 25 and one, literally every team in the country besides number one Purdue right now either has fewer quadrant one wins than Alabama or more losses inside quadrant one than Alabama or more losses outside of quadrant one than Alabama. And most teams have all three. So the bottom line is I still think Alabama has the second best body of work in the sport. It's why I, I, I kept Alabama number two in the top 25 and one simple of that simple as that. If that's hard to understand um, for a dummy and it seems that it is, let me try to put it uh, in these terms. The Celtics almost lost to the Lakers on Saturday night. I don't know if you saw it. LeBron James got fouled. They didn't call the foul. Would have been at the free throw shooting at the end of regulation. The Lakers would have won that game. Celtics almost lost to the Lakers. They didn't lose. They almost did. Refs missed a call. If the Celtics would have lost that game, they would still be number one in the East. Why? Because their body of work, in this case, for NBA purposes, is very simple. Their record um, would have still been better than everybody else's in the East. And the same thing is true with Alabama, at least from my perspective. If you want to make an argument that counters my argument that Alabama has the second best resume in the country, I'm open to that. I think you could get creative and maybe make an argument. Now we're just arguing over a difference of opinions. But in my opinion, Alabama, even after that loss, has the second best resume in the country. Just like the Celtics, even if they would have lost to the Lakers, would have still had the best resume, if you will, in, in the Eastern Conference. Well, look, the only the only teams that you can really, I think, make the case for other than Alabama in that number two spot right now are, are Houston because Houston is number one in the net and only has two losses. But I can't get over the fact that Alabama beat Houston on Houston's home floor. And then you have Tennessee, which, one, we'll get to see that settled on the court here in the coming weeks. Granted, that game is in Knoxville, so Tennessee has an advantage there. Uh, but Tennessee has a an ugly loss, much like the loss that – uh, Alabama just suffered because they laid an egg in a neutral site game against uh, Colorado uh, early this season, which I would compare that loss uh, to the Alabama loss to, to Oklahoma from yesterday. So I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. It's just sort of hard to grapple with that. I think for people, when we see Alabama lose by 24 against a mediocre team, how can you then turn around the next morning and say they're the second best team in the country, which I think speaks to the larger point that we saw manifested this weekend in college basketball as seven unranked teams or seven unranked teams uh, beat ranked teams. The fact that who is good outside of Purdue or who is truly elite, right. I guess right now and outside of Purdue, it's really hard to ascertain, Hey, these are your teams that are your clear cut number one seeds in the 2023 NCAA tournament. Yeah. Like Purdue is like on an Island by itself right now in terms of body of work. 
Um, it, Purdue should be a unanimous number one in the AP poll on Monday. Have no idea if Purdue will be, but Purdue should be. Um, to answer your question, which is a totally reasonable question because you're exactly right. We are we just watched Alabama lose by 20 plus to a mediocre team. And the the I think most fans are preconditioned to just assume when a team wins it moves up and when a team loses it moves down. Period, right? Because that's the way the AP poll works. It's the way most polls work. But just because something has always been done that way by certain people doesn't mean that it logically makes sense. Um, I've just decided, and I've done this before, by the way, like watch teams lose and not drop them at all. Not watch teams lose games they're not supposed to lose and not drop them at all. And when I do it every time, it's because, okay, they took that loss, but I'm looking at the body of work and I still think the body of work is better than everybody below them. So why would I move somebody ahead of them who has an inferior body of work just because that team won a game yesterday and this team lost a game yesterday? Like, I'm not going to overreact and move Alabama somewhere I don't think Alabama doesn't belong just because it lost more recently than some lesser teams. Well, this is, why, this is why the GPET is the supreme metric in college basketball analytics, right. the Gary exactly. Parish eye test. And, I, and I, will, I will stay on this horse for, you know, for, for all my days. I mean, you're right up there with the greats, uh, the, the Ken Palms and the Evan Mias of the world with, yeah. your, with your GPET. Yeah, they have, all that, they have algorithms, and I just have, I just have, this, I just have this right here. <laughs> I just have this old noggin right here. So Purdue's number one, Alabama's number two, and if you don't like it, Get a multi-billion dollar company to pay you to rank teams every morning. Then you can rank them however you like. And that's what I'm doing. Well, well, the, number one, Alabama number two, and your mom is number three. I love it. And the Alabama loss to me feels like an anomaly because the reason I've been so high on Alabama this season is because of what I would classify as their, their dual eliteness in the sense of, hey, they are elite, versatile on offense, have a number of weapons. They can beat you from beyond the arc. They can beat you off the dribble. And then they're also elite defensively. They, they certainly were not uh, yesterday. And it surprised me that Alabama stunk on offense and stunk on defense in the same game. I just don't think that's going to happen a whole lot uh, to the Crimson Tide the rest of this season. It, it certainly happened, hadn't happened before yesterday. So I chalk it up to an aberration. I mean, a lot of folks have already made the comparison of, of Kansas getting spanked, you know, 80 to 62 against Kentucky in the Big 12 SEC Challenge last year and then going on to win the national title. I think this loss is worse than that Kansas loss or maybe comparable since it comes, comes on the road. Um, but anyway, um, I just don't think that Alabama is is by any stretch doomed because of what we saw. Here's what surprised me, though, about that game. The only thing that I've really heard Nate Oates consistently criticize about his team over the last few weeks is uh, their rebounding and preaching that they need to get better on the boards. Well, I mean, they had 15 offensive rebounds and, and scored 15 second-chance points in that game, probably because they missed so many shots, uh, and they still lost by 24. So the one thing that Nate has really been preaching on or harping on, the, the rebounding, it actually wasn't all that bad uh, from a second-chance points perspective, uh, and they, they still lost by, by 24. That one, that one kind of threw me for a loop. Um, you asked uh, or you said you thought the only team you could really make a case for, one of the only teams you could really make a case for is uh, Tennessee to be ranked second behind Purdue. And I, I guess you could make a case for it because Tennessee um, is, I believe, number one at Ken Palm, second in the net, really strong computer numbers. Um, if the question is how could you have Alabama over Tennessee right now, because I got that question a lot, here would be the, the simple answer. Um, 
both both teams are 18 and three. Now, I don't really care about raw records without context, but if you do, just know that both teams have played 21 games and Tennessee's 118 and Alabama's 118. The difference from my perspective, Alabama's got six quadrant one wins. Tennessee's only got four. Of the three losses for Alabama, zero are outside of the first quadrant. They're all quad one losses. For Tennessee, two of the three losses are outside of quadrant one. As bad as that loss at Oklahoma was, on Saturday, it was still just a loss in quadrant one. So Tennessee's got two losses outside of the first quadrant. Alabama has zero. Alabama has two more quadrant one wins. If I were putting together a bracket today, I would, on my seed line, have Tennessee below Alabama. And based on the numbers I just gave you, I don't really think it's a hard case to make. But you got to understand why it's difficult for people to process when they pull up your rankings this morning and see Alabama ahead of Tennessee, given the performances that they put out there yesterday. No, like, no, no. I oh, Trust me. Not only do I understand their confusion, I anticipated it, which is why <laughs> I literally took the you know 300 words to explain exactly why I did what I did. I knew I, I I've been doing this long enough. I know exactly what the reaction is going to be to anything that I do. Um, so when, when I do something that I know is going to go, people are going to go, what they lost by 24 and you kept them at number two, then I'm going to take the time to explain it. And if I explain it and you still don't get it, well, then that's, that's a you problem, not a me problem. You can disagree with the way I interpret what the best resume is. That's fine. Cause that you because different people can do that different ways but based on the way i do it alabama's got the second best resume in the country and if somebody's got the second best resume in the country i'm not going to drop them to two to three or seven or nine just based off of uh, one really bad result over the weekend in a 21 game season to date that is one data point one from my perspective i don't get caught up on the game was played yesterday as opposed to the game was played two weeks ago if that makes sense uh, let's move on to some other of those uh, games where top 15 teams were up, were, were beaten um, by unranked teams on the road. Um, Iowa State losing at Missouri, somewhat surprising, uh, but Missouri's, I don't know if it's quietly, but I almost ranked them in the top 25 and one this morning. Like they might have been my first cut. They've got a pretty good resume. They're 16 and five overall. Three and five in quadrant one, three and oh in quadrant two. So six and five in the first two quadrants with all five losses falling in quadrant one. Like that, just trust me when I tell you, somebody who looks at this stuff every day, that is very rankable. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, no, look, hey, Missouri, uh, what impressed me about them, obviously 14 of 30 from beyond the arc. That's fantastic. Their offense has been great all season. But what stood out to me is forcing 19 turnovers because Missouri has not been a, an elite defensive team. You know, so far in year one under Dennis Gates, but to force 19 turnovers against Iowa State uh, stood out to me. And then Isaiah Mosley coming on strong here after kind of being in the doghouse or not having a role for much of the season. He's averaging like 14 points a game over their last four. So another offensive weapon emerging to uh, to help out on an offense that's already really, really good. You know, the 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 Tiger, the Missouri Tigers are one of those teams with a nice resume, but like not nice computer numbers. St. Mary's is the opposite, like a so-so resume, great computer numbers. Missouri, nice resume, not nice computer numbers. The Tigers are 45th in the net, 49th at Ken Palm, 50th Sagar, and 55th BPI. Top 25, nowhere. But the resume, like six and five in the first two quadrants with uh, zero losses inside of quadrant one, like that's, that's rock solid. Like 
if I were, again, putting an NCAA tournament bracket today, I'd have Missouri safely in the field, like as a seven seed or an eight seed somewhere in that range. Dennis Gates doing a really nice job. By the way, did you see the ending of that St. Mary's game at like 1 a.m.? Oh, baby, I was way asleep. <laughs> Aiden Mahaney, man, he drops this uh, contested step back jumper with 0.3 left to beat BYU. And I, I, for you know, you guys talk a lot about BYU on, on here uh, for, for <laughs> very specific reasons. I feel bad for BYU, man, because they got beat on that Julian Strother deep three a few weeks back mm-hmm. uh, at home. And then last night they had St. Mary's uh, down for the count. And then uh, Mahaney uh, just, just with ice in his veins at the buzzer. Shoot, I was like almost done with with winners and losers. You know, I had uh, just been hammering away on the computer for like three straight hours going through Kentucky, Kansas, and then uh, working on winners and losers. And then uh, I look up and, and Mahaney is dropping a, an almost buzzer beater uh, to keep St. Mary's unbeaten in the, in the West Coast Conference. So I had to go back in and, and add something on that. Man, that was uh, St. Mary's is legit, man. They they might win the, the the WCC outright. I know they haven't played Gonzaga yet, and we weren't planning to talk about this. But the Gales the Gales yeah. are legit. No, they're um. You know, I have them ranked again. The resume is not great, but the computer numbers are undeniable. And for what it's worth, uh, Ken Palm currently projects St. Mary's to win an outright WCC title. To 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 put Gonzaga second place in the WCC, which obviously very rarely happens. Yeah, I was going to trivia time you, but I don't even know the answer. Like, when's the last time that happened? I want to say it was 2012 is the last time that Gonzaga didn't win at least a share of the West Coast Conference title. Let me double check that real quick. It was, yeah, I was right. I looked this up just the other day. That would have been a successful trivia time for me. (laughs) It was 2012 Gonzaga finished second in the WCC, lost in the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. And every year since then, the Zags have either won the WCC outright or shared it with somebody. And for whatever it's worth, in this moment, right now, Kimpom projects St. Mary's to win an outright WCC title for the Zags to finish second. As for BYU, uh, sounds like they're just uh, unlucky. And sometimes when people are unlike when bad luck type things happen to people, uh, they go, yeah, or when good good things happen to people, they'll say things you've heard that you grew up in the you you've heard this. Oh, he must be living right, or <laughs> or or they must be you know they must not be living the right way. I'm just throwing it out there. Is it hey, possible? Is, is there a possible? Brandon, is there a Brandon Davies situation occurring right now? No, 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 no. I mean the opposite. I mean, well, that, are that's they what right? I'm saying. Are, are there somebody on that roster is not obeying the rules? No, no, no. What I'm saying is maybe obeying the rules isn't actually living right. <laughs> I get where you're coming from. More of us. <laughs> There's more of us. Last one of the top 15 teams that lost on the road, TCU. Um, they lost, I guess, in multiple ways. Lost the game in overtime, Mississippi State, and then lost Mike Miles Jr. to what's been described as a hyperextended knee. MRI is scheduled for today. As we're talking in this moment, the results of that are not known. But Mike Miles himself seemed to be positive on Twitter on Saturday night said, hey, it could have been a lot worse. So hopefully that MRI comes back as as clean as possible. We'll let you know when we know. But that was I was actually watching that game live when he went down, and it was obvious very quickly that he was in a lot of pain. It looked bad. And at that point, then TCU, you're going to have to play the, the majority of the game without its best player. Well, now you're, now you're up against it because Mississippi State's not great. But like Chris Jans is, and you know they're good enough to beat you, especially in that building. 
Yeah, you know, and, and TCU was also without Eddie Lampkin in that game, which I think helps explain why Tolu Smith just went absolutely bonkers and, and carried Mississippi State to a win that Mississippi State really needed, uh, by the way. I think they're 1-7 in, in the SEC, so to uh, get that out-of-conference dub against a top-15 opponent, no matter how banged up they are, that was one that, uh, that Jans and company needed. All right, so those are the you know we the, the surprising results of the top fifteen teams losing on the uh, on the road to unranked teams. Um, moving on, Indiana uh, got a big win uh, this weekend after struggling earlier in the season. Creighton also got a big win after struggling early in the season. I'm putting these two together because Indiana was picked to win the Big Ten. Creighton was picked to win the Big East. A few weeks ago, it looked like neither was going to come close. Now, I think the Big Ten's probably out of reach for Indiana because of Purdue, but the Big East title is on the table for Creighton, at least theoretically. We'll get into both of those situations next, but first a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. A reminder, if you want, you can now email the show, shouts to CBS at gmail.com. Shouts to CBS at gmail.com. We are loving the responses we've gotten, the emails, the correspondence, the questions. Continue sending them. You can send in a video if you'd like, 10 to 15 second video, ask a question, name, city, town, get out. We'll try and drop those in going forward on the show, on the YouTube channel. Continue to send us stuff. We love hearing from you. And thank you as always for subscribing. So Indiana was picked to win the Big Ten in the preseason. Creighton was picked to win the Big East in the preseason. Both have struggled this season for various reasons, but both now look like the teams they were supposed to be. Indiana beat Ohio State 86-70 this weekend to extend its winning streak to five games. Creighton beat Xavier 84-67 to extend its winning streak to four games. I don't think Indiana can win the Big Ten because Purdue's in the Big Ten, but the Hoosiers could finish second. Right now, Indiana is one game out of second in the loss column of the Big Ten standings. Right now, Creighton is one game out of first in the loss column of the Big East standings. Here's the question. What's more likely? Indiana finishes second in the Big Ten or Creighton wins the Big East? Gary, I got to go with Creighton here because Indiana does not get to play Nebraska or Minnesota again. Creighton still gets Georgetown twice. Uh, And they also play DePaul and and they uh, play a mediocre St. John's team. Uh, Meanwhile, Indiana per Ken Palm is uh, projected to lose five more big 10 games. So I'm glad the Hoosiers have turned a corner here. I want to see them do well. I love uh, Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson. Those guys have been uh, together forever. They've only been made better by the addition of Jalen 
Hood Chilfino. Um, I think it's an NCAA tournament team at Indiana, which we couldn't have said with absolute certainty a couple of weeks ago. But if we're, we're doing this exercise here, I think Creighton has a better chance to win the Big East, even though there's a three-way tie for first ahead of them that does not involve them uh, at the moment. Uh, I, I think there's a better chance of Creighton overcoming those three teams ahead of them in the Big East and winning the league than there is of Indiana finishing second in a Big Ten that has quite a log jam near the top. I think so, too. And what's wild, I like. I decided I was going to write about Creighton on Saturday, and I just started thinking through this, um, and like wondering aloud, like because Creighton had a six-game losing streak earlier this season, six games, and I sort of wonder, like, how unlike, how unusual would it be for a team to win a Power Conference regular season title after enduring a six-game losing streak? Now, only one of these games was in the Big East, but still, like, if you lose six games as a Power Conference school, it suggests you're not very good, six in a row. And then to go on and win that power conference would be unusual. So I uh, texted my buddy Andy Tulin, who does research for CBS Sports, and he very quickly looked up for me and f- confirmed this. It's been at least 20 years since anybody's had a six-game losing streak and then went on to lo- win a regular season conference title. And he said, now I could keep checking. It's harder to check once you get deeper than that, but – you know, he could do it. And I was like, I don't need you spending your day looking up stuff for me. So I, I, I don't know the answer to the question right now. Well, well you should have DM Jared, Jared Burson. <laughs> I, sh- I thought about it. I swear to God. And I was like, he doesn't work for me. <laughs> Not that Doolin works for me, but he at least works with me. He at least works with me. I almost did because I'm, I'm now curious. If somebody looks it up, like tweet me, let me know. Um, I don't know the answer. When's the last time a power conference team lost six games in a row at one point and then went on to win a conference regular season title. I don't know exactly when that was, but I know it has not happened in at least 20 years. So here's um, what among the things that makes the Creighton season interesting. They come in with historically high expectations. Pick to win the Big East. Some people's pick to go to a Final Four. And then their best player, Ryan Kalkbrenner, was diagnosed with mononucleosis in early December. Sideline for three games. Unsurprisingly, given that he's their best player, um, incredible defensive player. Um, Creighton lost all three of those games. And at that point, they had a resume-damaging six-game losing streak. They lost their ranking in the AP Top 25 poll. They fell to 29th at Ken Palm, fell to 51st in the net, fell off the national radar. Uh, but they have pretty quietly um, put themselves back in a good position. Since Cogbrenner came out, they're 7-2. and two. I mean, came back. They're seven and two since he rejoined the lineup. They've gone from 29th at Kempom to 11th and from 51st in the net all the way up to 18th. The resume is still banged up. You know, Creighton's only two and five in quadrant one, four and two in quadrant two. So six and seven in the first two quadrants with one additional loss falling in quadrant three. But in this nine game stretch that represents Cockbrenner's return, Creighton is performing like the fourth best team in the country according to BartTorvik.com. So as I wrote, if they continue to play at this level and like one-third of their remaining regular season games are against either Georgetown or DePaul, like you noted, like if they continue to play at this level, it's not crazy to think Creighton could become the first team in at least 20 years to suffer a six-game losing streak and then win at least a share of a power conference title. That's I'm not predicting it, but I can imagine it. When it comes time to evaluate Creighton's NCAA tournament seating, should the selection committee 
weigh the fact that Ryan Kalkbrenner missed six games due to mono. Not even should not even um, should they? They will. That yes, they should, and they one hundred percent will. That will be a factor. Have you ever had mono? I've never had mono. I've never I'm had. Looking. You've had it. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. They I say it's it. the kissing. It's a kissing <laughs> virus. Did you get it from kissing? Oh well, I, ironically, uh, I suppose uh, I got it like the month after I got married, and there was a confluence of factors there. One, I had just covered the Tennessee football coaching search, which was like a 80 hour a week job as a Tennessee beat writer. Uh, it was the famous coaching search that ended with Tennessee hiring Jeremy Pruitt after trying to hire Greg Schiano. And it was also basketball season. That was the 2017 18 team that had uh, Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield and Jordan Bone and those guys. And so, dual sport action, trying to get married. I was just exhausted somewhere along the way. I got mono, likely because of, of kissing. And, uh, it was it was not fun. I've never had mono. I've still never tested positive for COVID. I've, well, tested, uh, I've tested a hundred thousand times. I've still to this moment never tested positive for COVID. Okay, so I've never tested positive for COVID either, but I'm pretty sure I've had it, and I was just like, yeah, whatever. I've got COVID. You yeah, know? I'm pretty sure I've had it, but I have never actually had a positive test. I've never had mono. Never had HIV. <laughs> I'm pretty good at avoiding viruses. If we're, if we're telling the truth, I'm pretty good at it. So what, what, what a wild categorization. <laughs> I just tried just naming all the viruses. I know that I've never gotten. I'd say the one weird one I got one time shingles. Yeah. I've had it too. Yeah. Oh God. It sucks. So I was telling my wife, I was like, my back is hurting. Like something's not right with my back. And my wife's solution to everything is like, you should go to the chiropractor or you should go get a massage. Like she just, she thinks massages and chiropractors fix everything. And maybe they do. I don't know. And I was like, I don't know. I don't feel like I want to go to the chiropractor. And uh, she's like, you need to, it just kept getting worse. I don't, I, because I've never had shingles. I don't know what they feel like. Right. Same thing. Like when I had um, a kidney stone, I didn't know what it felt like. So I didn't know what was wrong with me, but boy, I know now what it feels like. Woo. So I was like, I don't, she was like, just go to the chiropractor. You'll feel better. I said, fine. First thing they do with the chiropractor is they're like, oh, well, it sounds like the first thing we're going to do is put some heat on it. Literally the worst thing you can do for shingles is to put heat on, on it. So I'm laying there and I'm like, yo, man, I'm dying. Is this the way I'm supposed to feel this? I thought I was supposed to come here and feel better. I'm feel worse. And then we subsequently get it diagnosed as shingles. And the doctor's like, so, so you went to the chiropractor? And I was like, yeah, my wife told me to. She's smarter than I am. So I just assumed she knew what she was talking about. And then he was like, so the, and they put heat on your shingles. I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, they didn't know what I had shingles, but yes, that is what they did. And it hurt. It hurt like hell. Yeah. My wife's solution for everything is Benadryl. Hey, I, well, have you been taking, have you been taking your Benadryl? Um, no, babe. Like I'm actually sick. Well, if you'd been taking your Benadryl, you wouldn't be. I mean, the, the time I got shingles, uh, I went to the CVS minute clinic. We were living in Memphis at the time. And, uh, Anyway, I ended up I ended up actually passing out while waiting for my prescription because I got a fever and it was oh god and I was like yeah hey uh hey babe um I passed out at Walgreens I'll be home soon <laughs> and, uh, you know she she insisted it was because I didn't take my Benadryl of course like hey you know everybody's got their things everybody got their things uh, back to basketball Indiana <laughs> um, Indiana's played twenty one games uh, this season. Best two players, Trace Jackson Davis, Jalen Huchifino, have missed three each. Race Thompson has missed four. And Indiana's 13 and four with Race Thompson, two and two without him. So, like, 
I don't think Race Thompson being out is the answer to, so why did Indiana struggle to the degree that Indiana struggled? But it is clear, um, you know, they're, they're pretty good with him and not nearly as good without him, or at least that's what the records suggest. And now Indiana is a team that's won five straight games. They've got three quadrant one wins now. They're six and six in the first two quadrants with five of the six losses coming in quadrant one. I did move Indiana to number 25 in Sunday morning's top 25 and one just ahead of, of number 26 UConn. And I considered putting Creighton in as well. Um, I still just sort of said the resume is too banged up to get them there. But I did ask the, myself the question that you wondered if the selection committee would consider, which is, Okay, but three of these losses are without Cockbrenner. And if you want to know the truth, like if I'm being completely honest, I think I don't think they win all three of those games if Cockbrenner plays. I, but I do think they go two and one instead of zero oh and three. And if you take them and flip two of those losses into wins, well, then they've got a rankable resume. And then when you combine that with the fact that, according to Bart Torvik, over this past nine games, they're playing like a top five team in the country. And the computer numbers, Ken Palm net numbers are are inside the top twenty five. You can reasonably rank Creighton right now, if um if you want to. I uh, I didn't do it, but but I did I did consider it. There were some other notable results from the weekend. I'm going to run you through them, and then I got a very specific question for for David Cobb. Um, Purdue blasted Michigan State. Boilermakers are now twenty one and two. Like I said, should probably be a unanimous uh, number one in the AP poll. On, on Monday. Villanova got Justin Moore back, uh, but still lost at home to Providence. It was a tight game in the final minute, but uh, Providence was able to, to, to squeak out that win. Baylor beat Arkansas to extend its winning streak to six games. Charleston finally lost for a second time at home to Hofstra. Um, Kansas State thumped Florida. That was Keontae Johnson against his former school. He played well. Clemson beat Florida State to move to 10-1 and one in the ACC. Pitt beat Miami to move to eight and three in the ACC. Yo, yo, North- Miami choked that game away. They led by eight with two and a half minutes left. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, that's it. You're up eight with that. That's like a that's a it's a Memphis Kansas type collapse in the final minutes of the 2008 championship game. So Pitt is now eight and three in the ACC. Northwestern beat Minnesota to go to six and three in the Big Ten, and that six and three record has them tied in the loss column of the league standings uh, for second place. So those are all interesting. We can talk about any of them in a minute. But what I want to ask you about first is Kansas um, avoided what would have been the first four-game losing streak in Bill Self's 20 years at the school by winning at Kentucky. Um, You wrote a story last week detailing how John Calipari had found something special in the form of a very specific lineup. It was Cason Wallace, C.J. Frederick, Antonio Reeves, Jacob Toppin, Oscar Shibway. That lineup, after Savila Wheeler was hurt and kind of forced John into it, even though there was data prior to Savila Wheeler getting hurt that suggested maybe you should try this. Not a lot, but some. But either way, he gets to that lineup. And that lineup is responsible for Kentucky's biggest wins of the season. That lineup is far and away UK's most effective lineup combination so tell me what you learned when you dug into it, and then tell me why you think John Calipari didn't use that lineup for even one minute in the first half this weekend in a loss at home to Kansas. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that until you mentioned it before we started. The fact that 
that five didn't play a single minute together in the first half of that game, which, and then, and let me give credit where credit is due. I would not have noticed that. I don't think for a lot of different reasons among them, I'm watching five different games at the same time. Um, but Matt Jones from Kentucky sports radio made note of it on Twitter that that lineup combination that's been so good didn't play a single minute together in the first half of the lost games. Yeah. Well, I, I was live blogging the game and, and just wrote about this phenomenon and I, Probably should have noticed, but but I didn't, and it, it blows my mind. I mean, because the the data is is quite clear uh, that that combination, both offensively and defensively, is Kentucky's best unit, and it was forced upon Kentucky by necessity when they went to Knoxville after that quad four home loss to South Carolina because Severe Wheeler was hurt, uh, Damian Collins was unavailable for that game. Uh, as well and so Calipari really had no choice early in that game against Tennessee they were down eight to nothing and uh, he took out Livingston and put in Reeves and t- uh, Kentucky came back and won that game and, and it effectively turned their season around they, they were riding a four-game winning streak going into the game against Kansas on Saturday so the fact that that Calipari still doesn't quite seem to understand or recognize this is confounding but i'll let him off the hook a little bit here and say that there is an emerging issue that i've identified with kentucky that is actually very concerning and it's this in that game yesterday uh reeves and frederick combined to go 0 for 8 from three-point range and over the last uh five games now so that four game winning streak and and saturday's loss to kansas kentucky as a team is shooting only 24 percent uh, from three-point range, whereas you know their first 16 games of the season, they were a highly respectable 35% from beyond the arc. So at least in theory, this lineup uh, combination that we've discussed here uh, that does not involve Sevier Wheeler, that does not involve Lance Ware or uh, Damian Collins or Chris Livingston, it should open things up because you have Reeves and you have C.J. Frederick who can both shoot along with Kaysen Wallace who can also shoot. Uh, playing uh, with Oscar Shibway, and it opens uh, things up for Shibway on the interior. Teams can't double-team him without leaving a shooter open. But it's not going to work if their shooters aren't making shots. Right. And the reality is that, that Frederick and Reeves, over the last five games, neither one of them is even shooting 30% from beyond the arc. And so I think this is something that kind of gets solved automatically. Teams go through slumps. Players go through slumps. Uh, but it's highly concerning for Kentucky right now when it feels like they've turned a corner that – the two transfers who they brought in to help them shoot the ball are not shooting it well at all. Um, listen, the numbers are the numbers. I guess I would argue that those are still your shooters. Even if they're not making shots, they're your shooters. And you play them because there's enough data at this point that shows um, having multiple shooters on the floor with Oscar Shibwe is, is the way to play. I, I, I feel like they're just way too obsessed with Jacob Toppin. I feel like they want to get Jacob Toppin more shots than he realistically deserves for as effective as a player as he is. I mean, Oscar only shot the ball nine times from the floor in this game yesterday. That blows my mind. Right. Um, Yeah. So, like, think about it from an NBA perspective. Like, okay, so Reeves and Frederick are are both making shots and everything's good. And then they stop making shots and it's like, well, we, we don't need to play them as much anymore or we don't need to play that lineup anymore. Think of it in the NBA. Like, if you've got... I'll just mention a franchise that you used to cover, my hometown franchise, our hometown franchise, um, the Grizzlies. Like if Desmond Bain goes through a five-game stretch where he's shooting 21% from three, it doesn't change anything with how the Grizzlies approach it. He's still the starting two, and they're still trying to get him a bunch of shots. Like you just – you recognize that in this sport, particularly at the collegiate level, like guys are going to make shots some games, they're going to miss shots some games, but still – 
my belief has always been um, you you identify who is what, and then you don't you don't overreact to small sample sizes, good or bad. And I feel like getting away from that lineup because those guys haven't been making shots recently is overreacting to a small sample size. They are still, there is a large sample size that shows they are still your best shooters. And, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and even if, when they're not making shots, they're still your best shooters. And how about this? There are certain guys um, on Kentucky's roster that play. You don't guard them out to the, out to the three-point line. You don't have to. Those guys, even if they're missing shots, you got to guard them. Because you know, because yeah. there's a large sample size that says these guys can bury you from the three point line if you don't guard them. Sometimes that is not sometimes all the time. That's important. It's like, okay, are you making shots or not? We'd rather you make them, but if it are, are you are you enough of a shot maker where they're going to guard you out there to free up that space for Oscar, free up di- driving lanes? If you've got Frederick and Reeves on the court, that's those that's two shooters, whether they're making shots or not. There's two shooters that have to be guarded out to the three-point line. You put Wheeler out there with somebody who's a non-shooter, well, then those are two people that even if they're making shots, you don't really have to guard them because you just trust they're going to be what they are. I just think yeah. getting away from that lineup for for any reason, whatever the rationale, is a mistake. Yeah, You're right, and if they stick with it, eventually those guys will start hitting, and then it's gonna they're going to look really good because they won those four games – without shooting particularly well, playing their best basketball of the season, you know, with Reeves and Frederick on the floor, with Wallace running the point. And the more they do that, uh, the more they're going to get chemistry together. Because, I mean, Reeves and, and Frederick had barely played it at all together before that Tennessee game. I think it was about 16 possessions per game. And and uh, over the four-game winning streak, they played over 40 possessions per game together. And a- as they develop a little bit of chemistry there, those shots are going to start falling. And that's when Kentucky starts to look really good. But if Calipari falls into this trap, of playing Wheeler too much, uh, I I think it sets a ceiling on what Kentucky can accomplish, and it's not just because of the offensive stuff. The other thing is that uh, defensively, they're a lot better with with Wheeler off. I mean, offensively, they're 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 fine with them on, but defensively, it, it's where I found that their their struggles uh, really come when when he's on the floor. So There's, Kentucky remains an interesting case study. Yes, yes, it's like it's it. To, to me, there's two ways you, you mishandle Xavier Wheeler if you're John Calipari. One is you can play him too much. And I think he played 15 minutes. Like, I don't know that that's – maybe that's a little too much. But, you know, it, it, I, I don't think 15 minutes of Severe Wheeler is going to kill you. The mistake you make with Severe Wheeler is playing him too many minutes and or playing him with the wrong people. Like, if you're going to play him 15 minutes, you got to play him with the right people. And by the right people, I mean shooters, because he's a non-shooter. You don't have to guard him. And at the end, of, at, at some point, he becomes a little point guard who is no shooting threat and who has problems finishing around the rim. Um, so what are we doing? I don't mind him playing some, but you got to play him with the right people. And I think too often in this game against Kansas, um, even when he was on the court, he was on the court with the wrong people. That's a good point. And I think Kansas deserves a lot of credit here because they, they go into Rupp Arena facing down the potential of a, their first four-game losing streak ever under Bill Self and just made shot after shot after shot after shot in the second half of this game. This was a great college basketball game because both teams were at or near 50% shooting 
uh, from the floor. And Kansas made a ton of plays. And then the thing that, that stood out to me that probably gets overlooked now is the fact that Ernest Uday Jr. had to come into that game and play serious minutes for Kansas after uh, K.J. Adams picked up two fouls and then Zuby Ejiofor got hurt less than a minute after Adams got a second foul. So Uday, who's barely played at all for Kansas this season, has to go in there and bruise with Oscar. And he did so quite well. Uh, caught a couple of lobs and finished him at the rim. And, and the fact is, uh, Kansas outscored Kentucky 11 to nothing in second chance points. Kentucky entered the game number one in the country in offensive rebounding efficiency and were just totally dominated on the offensive class. And so that to me was a sign of why Bill Self didn't seem all that concerned, you know, during his team's three game losing streak. They're still really good. Yeah. And I, kn- I picked up on that. We talked about it last week on the podcast. Like Bill Self, I believe after the Baylor loss, said there are times when. I'm paraphrasing here, but he more or less said there are times when you need to be concerned about multiple losses, back-to-back losses, three-game losing streaks. He was like, I don't, I don't really feel like this is – he didn't say this, but he certainly implied it. Like, we're fine. You know, we've, we are on a three-game losing streak. But the, all three games were against top 15 teams, two of them were on the road. We lost one of them in overtime. Yeah, we got spanked pretty good at home by TCU. That was embarrassing, but we're fine. And – I think I said on CBS Sports HQ on Friday, I was asked, are you concerned about Kansas? I said, I'm not concerned about the three-game losing streak. If it becomes a four-game losing streak with a loss to Kentucky, now we're, we need to talk. But I, I, I've got Kansas in the top. I've never not had Kansas in the top 10, um, even during this, this three-game losing streak. The body of work is still strong. Uh, the team is still undeniably good. That, that's going to end up being a little blip. And um, like I've said before, I don't believe this will be true. But I believe it could be true. Every team in the Big 12, even the team that wins it, might end up with a three-game losing streak at some point. Baylor has one already, and they're they're playing really great. Yeah, no. Baylor has one. Kansas has one. Iowa State has a stretch where they like lost three of four, not three in a row, but three of four. Like all the best teams in the Big 12 have had little like problems, and that's just the nature of the schedule. Like if you catch a schedule. Uh, a part of the schedule where you've got something like, uh, I don't know, at Texas, home against Kansas, at Baylor, hey, you you go 0-3 in that stretch. You could be really good and go 0-3. So I think that is among the reasons uh, Bill Self wasn't too concerned. He knew that what is what had happened to his team was going to happen to most teams in the Big 12. And just to put a, a button on, on this, right now, Ken Palm is projecting the Big 12 champion to just go 12 and 6 in the league. 12 and 6 in the league projects as an outright Big 12 title for Texas. And and Texas is 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 really the only I don't know about the only, I don't have it all in front of me, but Texas has not endured that little losing streak to date. They haven't lost two in a row all season, but like look at this, here we are, all right? At Tennessee. Next up, home game against Baylor on Big Monday. That's certainly losable. I, Texas will be favored, but it's losable. After that, at Kansas State. After that, at Kansas. I mean, Texas could right now lose four in a row. And Very still be good. a good, still be still a good be basketball good. team. Still be yeah. good. Still be really good, but go on a four-game losing streak right now. Oh, something like one and three in a four-game stretch seems more likely. But that's the thing. Like, like Texas will probably go one and two in its next three, coming off a loss at Tennessee. Still be a good team but have lost three or four. 
You know, the Big 12 probably can't wait for UCF to show up. They're probably like, oh, <laughs> no, thank no, goodness. You, no, you're exactly right. <laughs> um, everybody, like, it is awesome to have a league that is as awesome as the Big 12, top to bottom, but it's not fun to coach in. Like, what most coaches have told me is you need places where you can feel like if you're good, you can go on the road, not play well, and still win. And most conferences have those places. The SEC has those places. The ACC has multiple of those places. <laughs> um, the Big 12, unless you think it's Texas Tech, then, then unless you think it's Texas Tech, then, then, there is, then there is no place. It might be Texas Tech this year. Yeah. Um, but, but like, you know, West Virginia was winless for a while in the Big 12. And, you know, now they've beaten multiple good teams. Yeah, I mean, hey, they're they're on the bubble. Just beat Auburn, and and they're yeah. supposed to be one of the bottom feeders in the conference. You know, yeah, like in in the in the in the Big Twelve, they have multiple Final Four. Con- I think this is true. The Big Twelve, you have multiple Final Four contenders, multiple national championship contenders, and if any of them go on the road anywhere in the Big Twelve, other than maybe Texas Tech, if they don't play well, they'll lose. Accurate, right? And that's hard to coach in. Like, like um, I, I talked to some coaches about the Big Ten when it comes to it. They're like, Rutgers used to be one of those places. Like, you just go to Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Now, now that's not one of those places. Oh, like, by the I, way, I don't know if you know this, but I, I, I saw a game at Jersey Mike's this past week. I saw you tweet that. That <laughs> was Jersey Mike's. It was awesome, man. I loved it. Uh, we happened to be in New Jersey for a few weeks uh, due to my wife's job. And uh, so we're, you know, 30 minutes away from uh, – Jersey Mike's Arena, although the interstate signs when you're getting off at the exit for the Rutgers campus, it still says the rack. So uh, they need to work with the New Jersey Department of Transportation to get that that resolved. But uh, the student section there was unbelievable. And it was packed to the to the rim. I mean, to the rafters for a Tuesday night game against a, you know, okay opponent in in Penn State. I mean, it blew me away because it was an early tip time. So it's 630 ton of traffic. And uh, not a marquee opponent. Rutgers not ranked at the time, though I suspect they will be if they beat Iowa today. Uh, it was awesome. I, I mean, it was like it was a great college basketball atmosphere. So on that point, like in the Big Ten, y- you used to could reasonably assume, hey, we're going to Rutgers. We're good. We don't have to play well. We can still win that game. We're going to Penn State. We're good. We don't have to play well. We can still win. Now, Penn State, you got to go play. Rutgers, you got to go play. So that league's got fewer spots like that where you can. Yeah, assume. Minnesota and Nebraska are your only there two, you, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. And in the Big Twelve again, unless you think it's Texas Tech, it's nobody. So so right. that can that can obviously um, get difficult. Any other thoughts on any of the other stuff I mentioned from the weekend? Um, like I, I said, Charleston was upset by Hofstra, so that might. And by the way, Speedy Claxton doing a really nice job at Hofstra. Like they've got a chance to win to win uh, their conference championship. That's a big time win over a ranked opponent. I'm not sure if, if it'll cost Charleston its national ranking. I'm sure that it should, but I'm not sure that it will. And just so we're clear, I'm not rooting for that. I don't care. Um, but I, I I never really understood based on the resume or the numbers why Charleston was ranked. We can all see you fist pumping under the table there over the fact that it's now your beloved Florida Atlantic Owls <laughs> to, to ha- have the nation's longest winning streak. I do like my owls. There's no getting around that. But I, I feel like sometimes fans interpret, if you just speak honestly um, about something, it can come across as you're burying them. And I'm not trying to bury Char- Charleston's a great story. 
Um, Charleston's a great city. Uh, Pat Kelsey's tremendous. Like I, 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 I'm happy for Charleston that they got to experience all of this and we'll get to experience wherever the season goes from here. I assume um, to good places, but just take your heart out of it and look at it the way I look at it. I didn't understand how Charleston got ranked. Um, didn't understand why Charleston was ranked. And I, I certainly, you know, the, the, if, if you were somebody who had them on a ballot, you now have what you should need to get them off of it. But we'll see. I, I, I won't care either way. I, I'm not going to uh, go ranting and raving in Charleston and still in the AP poll on Monday. I just uh, don't don't think they should be. Yeah, no, look, I get it, though, as a former AP voter who was probably attacked by Gary Parish and poll attacks <laughs> and as a, a current CBS Sports 130 college football voter. Sometimes I, you just get bored with the mediocre power conference teams. And, yeah. and for football, I'm like, you know, screw it. Yeah, let's rank Coastal Carolina. Why not? You know, yeah. uh, I think that's probably the mindset of the AP voters there. But it, do, it is a costly yeah. loss. I mean, it, it, Charleston dropped 13 spots in the net today because uh, of that loss, which drops them from 48, which is kind of like, yeah, you know, at large territory to 61, which is eh, probably not at large. I mean, it, it's uh, like I've talked about before. Usually to get ranked, you have to have a strong resume with big wins or you have to have undeniable computer numbers. So like strong resume with big wins, that's uh, like Arizona, that's Purdue, you know, bunch of big wins. The, the resume speaks for itself. Um, strong computer numbers. You go, I don't know about the resume, but like the strong, the computer, you can't ignore them anymore. That's St. Mary's. Um, Charleston doesn't have strong wins or a strong resume and also has terrible computer numbers. 77th at Ken Palm, 61st in the net, 75th at BPI, 79th in Sagarin, 47th KPI, 64th at Torvik. Like there's just nothing there. Every time I start talking about this, I feel bad. (laughs) I'm not not trying to, (laughs) I always feel bad. I'm just, I'm just speaking candidly. Um, So anyway, congratulations to Hofstra. That's, I, think that's, I think that's what I was really trying to say. Congratulations <laughs> to Hofstra. How concerned are you about Arkansas? Losing again. We've mentioned Baylor looks great now. Um, looks like a, you know, Baylor was picked to win the Big 12. Um, looks like a contender to win the Big 12. Looks like a contender to maybe go to another Final Four. Keontae George is terrific. The, the main thing I couldn't help but notice um, when it comes to Baylor-Arkansas is that um, both those teams have gone through it to, to certain extents this season but both were supposed to be led by a five-star one and done projected top 10 pick freshman and Baylor is Keontae George is tremendous and was tremendous against Arkansas and Nick Smith Jr. still isn't playing and that probably more than anything else is the difference between these teams one's headed one direction one seems to be headed the other and at least on some level, it's because one of them's five-star freshman projected lottery pick is performing awesomely for his team, and the other one's not playing at all. For me, it comes down to the principle of never doubt Eric Musselman, and I'm still in that camp even now with Arkansas. They have two games against Texas A&M remaining, two games against Kentucky, and a game against Tennessee, just to name a few of their schedule highlights from here on out. I, I still believe that Eric Musselman can get this group to gel and play good basketball. I still think there's David talent. Cobb frozen up here. Uh oh. Uh oh. I, I think you're back now. Continue your thought. Oh well, I was saying don't no don't doubt Eric Musselman. Oh, no. Don't doubt Eric Musselman. You know, Arkansas still has some meat left on that schedule. It's looking like David Cobb's coming to us live from Bloomington. <laughs> 
Bummer. I think you're back now. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, woo pig suey. That's basically what I was saying. <laughs> yes. I'm a, I'm a believer in not doubting Eric Musselman as well. Like, like we pointed out um, many times, he has um, turned seasons around before. Um, he's like, if not the best, one of the best at taking a bunch of new pieces and, and making them a quality basketball team. He did it at Nevada. He's done it multiple times at Arkansas. But I don't think there's any getting around the fact that uh, they're two and five in their last seven, three and six in their last nine. Um, they're now 14 and seven overall. I believe um, three and five in the SEC and undeniably trending in, in the wrong direction. Doesn't mean they can't get it turned around. Still just late January, but it looks like uh, it looks like. It's not going the right direction. No, that's true. But I just I just believe that Eric Musselman can get it going in the right direction. I believe they can pick up wins over Texas A&M, Kentucky, give Tennessee a run for its money. I believe that there is still some quality wins left for Arkansas to pick up to become an NCAA tournament team. And, and, and what this season tells us, at least, is that if they're going to get those, they need to get them at home because they've done – nothing of significance on the road. And so, uh, Bud Walton Arena is going to have to, for the rest of the season, be an incredible home court advantage for them because if they're just, um, if, if they can't get big wins at home, I don't know where they're going to get them because they haven't been playing. Uh, they have not all season played uh, played well on the road. Ready to get out of here? Go watch some football? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to David Cobb. We're pinch inning for Norlander, who is on the road. He was in Bloomington yesterday, and he's in West Lafayette today. And uh, given that every ranked team that was going to play this weekend was going to be done by the time we started at 2.30 Eastern, I was like, you know what, Norlander, why don't you just handle your situation at Purdue, and me and David Cobb will handle the Ion College Basketball Podcast. So thanks for being here. Appreciate that. If you guys have not uh, subscribed yet, please go subscribe. Anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Spotify and Apple, over at Apple, leave nice comments, five-star reviews. There's more of us than there are of them, and that needs to be reflected in the comments over at Apple Podcasts. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, please knock that out, and we will talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Rated PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.